where the sun beats down with a merciless hand. There flows a stream, so cool and so clear, a lifeline in a desert drear. It winds its way through this sandy plain, with a gentle murmur, like a soothing refrain. A ribbon of life in a world so stark, a precious jewel amid the dark. The plants and creatures gather round as the water brings life to the dry, cracked ground. Birds dip their beaks and drink their fill, and the parched earth awakens with a thrill. The stream is a symbol of hope and grace, in a place where survival seems like a constant race. A reminder that even in the harshest climb, there is always a chance for life to shine. So let us treasure the streams in the desert and all the blessings they can confer, where they are a testament to the love of our Creator and the mercies that abound from His open hands. Sitting in a chair just before performing a funeral service for someone's loved one, I say a short prayer. Lord Jesus, you live within me. Come, Holy Spirit, calm me. Give me your peace. Give me the words to say. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with me. Before going to bed at night, Holy Spirit, Thank you for being my counselor today. Thank you for giving me peace to navigate the journey of life today. Continue to help me. Continue to help my friends and family be aware of your presence with us on a daily basis. As I stare at the stars at night, or a well-lit football field, or the parking lot at Walmart, Jesus, you are with me wherever I go. No matter the place, you have created so much. You have blessed me with so much. Thank you. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for the blessings of joy and fun that you provide for my family. Thank you. Holy Spirit, move in and around and through me in these next few hours, regardless of where I am or what I'm doing. Help me to be aware of your presence with me. All throughout this series, we have been talking about practical ways that we can practice the presence of God. And today is the final message of the series, but I trust that today won't be the final reminder and the final time that we all practice the presence of God on a moment-by-moment basis every day of our lives. And today, as we are in this room and as those of you who are watching us online, join us from your homes or wherever, wherever you are on this particular day watching or listening, we practice the presence of God together. As we sing songs about and to our Savior Jesus Christ that help us focus on him, we praise his greatness and his grace, graciousness, his goodness, his love towards us. 
We thank him with our voices and our attitudes and our words and our thoughts. Towards the end of our time together today, we will partake of communion, the bread reminding us of Jesus' broken body, brokenness that he willingly went through for us so that we could be reconciled to an all-powerful God. Juice representing and reminding us of the total sacrifice that Jesus gave. Jesus shed every drop of blood. He gave it all for you and for me. We will celebrate that. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did. That is so powerful in our lives. Why wouldn't we want to be in a moment-by-moment, daily basis relationship with a friend like Jesus who gave it all for each and every one of us? And then once we are, once we have genuinely surrendered our life to Jesus, as Paul describes in, in Romans chapter 10, then he has us in his hands. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When we declare with our mouth and we believe in our heart, we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in relationship with our Holy Father. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, three in one, and that relationship is meant to be an intimate one. It is meant to be a close one, and and here is how intimate it can be. Listen to these words of Jesus. No, No, actually, let's look at them. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to John, the book of John. It's the fourth gospel, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the last third of your Bibles, chapter 10. These are our memory verses for the week. Incredible words from Jesus himself, John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29, and this is what Jesus says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wow, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That is intimacy, isn't it? That is the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us and that he wants us to have with him. You see, the heart of the matter that we're talking about today is intimacy. It's intimacy. Intimacy with God is available to each And every one of us. God promises it. Jesus describes it right here. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known 
by another person. And we often describe intimacy using physical language. In fact, sometimes in our culture today, when you say that you have an intimate friend, they really can jump to conclusions and unnecessary ones because we think that it is this physical thing. We use physical language like, I I really feel close to so-and-so. Or if you're in a conflict with someone, you might say, I really feel distant from so-and-so. Or a relationship that is superficial or casual, we obviously wouldn't describe that relationship as being an intimate one because there is distance between us. But I want us to remember that intimacy is not actually physical at all. It is relational. Because we all know what it can feel like to be sitting right next to a person and feel distant from them. And we all know what it can feel like to be thousands of miles from somebody else yet feel really, really close to them. It is relational, not spatial. And a common ingredient to that intimacy is trust. It's trust. And it is as true in our relationships with one another as it is in our relationship with God. So let's take just a a look at intimacy with God. The Bible tells us that God is intimate with those who trust him. Look at those verses in John 10 again. Therein lies the relationship that sheep have with the shepherd. The more we trust God, the more we intimately come to know him. And if we're feeling distant from God, it's likely because of a break in trust caused by sin on our part or disappointment on God's part. This reality is important to know because as Christians, we want to experience intimacy with God. Like the psalmist, we proclaim, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It is good to be near God, and we want to follow what James says and realize the promise that comes with his words. In James 4.8, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But sometimes we can seek that nearness in ways that don't produce it. One common mistake we make is thinking that being close to Jesus can be achieved through the accumulation of knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong, knowledge is necessary. We need to know things about our Creator. But intimacy is so much more than knowledge. Never in the history of the Christian church has there been more knowledge available to us, literally at our fingertips. There are great books, insightful articles, access to just about every pastor, every preacher, every theologian on YouTube, sermons, explanations, movies, documentaries, and over a hundred English translations of the Bible. And with all of that, Christ followers in America in general lack a relationship with God that is profoundly intimate. Why? Because knowledge is not synonymous with trust. That is why Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, leaders who possessed all kinds of knowledge, in John 5, 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the scriptures are foundational. The scriptures are knowledge, and that is important. But just that knowledge is not life-changing. We must come to Jesus so that we may have life. Here's a quote, and I couldn't find again who, who said this, but this is what he said. Biblical knowledge is far better than gold when it fuels our trust in God. Because it fuels our intimacy with God. But when biblical knowledge replaces our trust in God, it only fuels our pride. Intimacy is more than knowledge. And intimacy is also more than feelings. Our author, uh, one author I read called this the field of dreams approach. That if we build the right environment, God will come. It will just happen. This can be in the form of a liturgical environment that attempts to inspire an experience of transcendence and mystery. It, it, it could be contemporary music combined with lights and smoke in an attempt to inspire experience and eminence. Others chase revivals thinking that proximity to God's power will result in closeness to God. If we truly trust God, then all of the environments I just mentioned can encourage intimacy, but none of them truly possess the power to manufacture nearness to him. Think of it like this. A candlelit dinner with romantic music might encourage a sweet moment of relational intimacy between the husband and wife, but only to the degree that the environment encourages and deepens their mutual trust and love. If there is some kind of relational distance between them because of a lack of trust, the atmosphere itself will have no power to bridge that gap. Only restoring the trust will do that. So how do we then draw near to God? How do we draw near to God? We, we've looked at these many times over the past weeks, but I want to once again, as we close the series, outline some of those practical steps towards intimacy with God. First, through faith. The ways we draw near to God and having him draw near to us is revealed clearly in Scripture. We draw near to God through faith in Christ who alone gives us access to himself. Philippians 3.9 describes it this way, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And when our faith and trust is lacking, no amount of knowledge or quality of atmosphere is going to overcome that. And without faith, Scripture tells us that it is impossible to please God. When God sees someone whose heart fully trusts his promises and lives by them, he draws near to them and manifests itself, himself to them. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. That is an intimate relationship. Now follow me here for a moment. Um, we often use faith and belief interchangeably, don't we? Um, 
In fact, the Gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In fact, the Gospel of John does not even use the word faith, although the concept of faith is found in the Gospel of John. It's woven all throughout there, and all throughout Scripture, there is no distinction between faith and belief. On the other hand, in our English language, and how we use the word faith, there's off, uh, uh, the word faith often has a deeper meaning. Belief, if you tell somebody that you believe something, that is intellectual assent to whatever that is, to a fact. If you ask the average person on the street if he believes in Alexander the Great or Abraham Lincoln, he would probably interpret the question to mean, do you believe that that person existed? And most, no doubt, would answer in the affirmative. Yeah, I, I believe in Alexander the Great. I believe in Abraham Lincoln. But faith in modern usage has the added idea of trust and commitment. Many people believe that Alexander the Great existed, when, and when he was alive, many had faith in him as well, trusting him to protect them or to lead them into battle or to expand the country of, of the, the Greek empire. However, it would be safe to assume that no one alive today is trusting Alexander the Great to do anything for them. They just merely believe that he existed. There is no trust. They have no faith in him. Likewise, many people today believe a certain set of facts about God, and in some cases, their facts may be completely in line with what Scripture says. They may be right. However, if they have never committed themselves to God, if, if they have never put their trust in him, then they do not have faith in him. Biblical faith is trust and commitment that will ultimately result in a change of behavior in us as we are in that intimate relationship with Jesus and he molds us and shapes us from the inside out. John or James 2.19 puts it this way, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons believe that God exists. They believe in the facts about God, but they do not have faith in him. And unfortunately, many people have the same kind of belief that the demons have, but that is not sufficient for salvation. Now let's look at drawing near to God. Ways that we draw near to God on a daily basis are as practical as the ways that we draw near to one another. In our marriages, in our friendships, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but the main action we can take is to trust. It's to trust. To illustrate this another way, let's say three people board a commercial airplane in Denver and they're going to fly to Florida. Uh, the first is an engineer who designs and builds airplanes. He's also a pilot. He knows how everything works. And furthermore, he's a personal friend of the pilot who's going to be flying that plane that afternoon and he knows him to be very confident. Uh, to, to be very competent, so he boards the plane with full confidence. He gets on, he sits in his seat, and he's ready to go. 
The second person is just the average business traveler. He knows a little bit about airplanes, but just doesn't really think about it too much. Uh, he takes his seat and starts reading a magazine. And the third is deathly afraid of flying. He breaks out in a cold sweat. It takes all he can do to not turn and run back up the jetway, back into the airport. And with much fear and trembling, he gets on the plane, sits down, and hopes he can fall asleep and not wake up until they land. So the question is, who has more trust in the plane? The answer is that they all have the same amount of trust in the plane because they all got on. They all trust that plane to get them to where they're going. Now, there's a chance that it goes down and, you know, the trust was misplaced. But all the people who got on the plane were committing themselves to the plane. They had trust in the plane. Those who needed to fly to Florida but didn't board the plane or they didn't even buy a ticket because they lacked confidence in, in airplanes and pilots and, and, and the commercial transportation system, no trust, none. They might even believe that that airplane could get them from Denver to Florida, but they're not willing to step on. They did not exercise trust in the plane. They did not commit themselves to it. I guess here's, here's one of my thoughts on that illustration. We're all at different places in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We all have different levels of intimacy with Jesus Christ if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may put your trust in him to be there for you with fear and trembling and, and a cold sweat, but you still put your trust in him. You may be more confident today than you ever have been in the fact that you can trust Jesus. And it's, it's much easier for you to take that step of trust. The result is the same. We should not be ashamed if we struggle at trusting. What we need to do is simply trust. For salvation, you believe God can save you because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you haven't taken that step of faith and trust, you're sitting on the fence and you haven't taken action on that knowledge. There, of course, is no intimacy there because there's no relationship to begin with. That step of belief and faith is the first step. And if you're relying on your own wisdom and power to make decisions in your life and you aren't asking God and listening for the answers, you are showing very little trust. And your lack of intimacy with God reflects it. You don't feel very close. It is time to trust. It is time to trust. We draw near by trusting. We also draw near by spending time sitting at Jesus' feet as Mary did, reading God's word, listening to God's still small voice, meditating on what, he, what we read, thinking about it, and, and asking the Holy Spirit to shine a light on it so that we understand it and make its truth a part of our life and action. Time. We also draw near in worship. Worship, engaging our minds and souls and heart and strength in response to who and what God has done and is. Opening our hearts and our minds up to the Holy Spirit, clearing 
our minds of the influences that are around us, the enemy's lies and the temptations that when we recognize something is coming our way, we, we, we look to the Holy Spirit and we say, man, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me, give me the ability to, to either shut up or, or to say something or whatever the moment requires. And then worshiping him. For his response, giving honor to Jesus for his love and grace and forgiveness, for his power, for his sovereignty. And then through prayer, through prayer, praise, repentance, asking and yielding. And I find in that order is the most helpful. These are practical ways that we draw near to God and the results of drawing near, they're incredible, they're amazing, they're, they're unmatched to anything we could ever experience in life. And then that brings results. Number three is results of an intimate relationship with God, a depth of relationship. And that depth will show up in our everyday life. It will become like blinking or breathing. You don't have to think about it. There are times when you think about blinking and there are times when you think about breathing, but more regularly, you, you don't. I mean, you are right now. There are certain other things that we just, driving home from work, if you've worked at the same place your whole life, this happened to me when I was in, in high school. There were times I would get home from school and I'm like, how did I get here? I don't remember taking that left turn. I don't remember, I don't remember driving by my brother's place. It became so <coughs> habit, so much habit that, that it just happened. I didn't even have to think about it. And, and that's what happens when in our relationship with God, when there is a depth to that relationship, how we respond to hard and, and tragic things. What is our first response? Is it to get on our knees and pray? Is it to worship? Is it to, to, to as I uh, mentioned at the beginning of the message, is it to call out on the Holy Spirit and Jesus who we know are with us? Thank him for being with us. Trust him for the next steps that we're going to make. And how we respond to good and amazing things. What is our first response when something amazing happens? Well, what was your first response when you got the news that Bryson uh, was getting a kidney? I mean, I, I can tell you where I was when I, I was sitting behind the steering wheel parked of a school bus. And I read that message. And a tear came to my eye, and I just praised God. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you. You see, we will live confidently because we know we have a Lord who will never leave us. It doesn't matter what happens in your life and mine. He will never, ever leave you, ever. Scripture tells us about all five of these results that I'm going to be going through here. And as we see them illustrated in the lives of people who had an intimate relationship with God, and we all have seen them illustrated, I think, in our own life. And as we experience each 
failure and we repent and we return to Jesus and as we experience each success where we truly and fully trusted him in the midst of life, that intimacy and closeness goes, grows. And our shepherd knows us and we know him. More and more. Our trust grows, our faith grows. My relationship with Jesus and the guidance and power I receive from the Holy Spirit on a daily basis to live in that place of trust bears witness to this truth. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I mean, this is one moment in all of Scripture where I don't mind being called a sheep. Because it's such a special relationship. This shepherd and this sheep. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Another result we will see in our life is a well, a well of love and compassion. A deep well of love and compassion that we can draw on every day. Every day that we dip our bucket into that well and draw, there will be love and compassion. Our own capacity to love others and feel compassion for them will grow in the midst of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We will treat people like he does. Sometimes we may even wonder where it comes from, but the well is deep. So deep. We will also experience a peace that passes that surpasses all understanding. That almost becomes cliche, but it is so true. I don't know why, but I'm not even worried about this. Now, that, that doesn't happen a lot for me. That's a sin that I deal with on a regular basis, worry, anxiety. But if you are a follower of Christ, you have probably experienced this peace at one time or another in your life, and wow, do we need it today, don't we? That peace that comes when we're trusting God for all things in our life, the, that assurance in our, our mind and our heart that he's got this. I'm, I, yes, it hurts, it's painful, I'm struggling, but I know that my Redeemer lives and that nothing is impossible for him. That inner confidence that though there is a reality of pain and suffering, we still have a peace that everything is going to be all right. Intimacy with God will also give you courage to share your faith. Courage to share your faith as one who experiences God's goodness and love and mercy on a genuine, daily, real, and practical way. You will then try to sell that to someone else. I mean that in a loving way, not typical selling today because when we experience something when we've truly experienced it and we go to explain it to someone else that's different than reading about somebody else's experience and trying to convince them that their experience was real when we have a growing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and we know that he's working and that the Holy Spirit is moving and going before us. We want that for our friends and our neighbors. When you, 
when you find something in your life that's, that's like better than sliced bread, most don't even know that illustration because they've, all they've known is sliced bread. You know, a loaf where you, you open the bag and it's already sliced for you. You don't have to roll the thing back and cut it and it goes like this and part of your sandwich is too thick with too much bread. You find a cold medicine that really works and you hear somebody coughing or somebody with a stuffed up nose. Seriously, what goes through your mind? Well, they should try this. Worked for me, right? We try to, we're not trying to sell it. We're just, we just want what's best for them. And if there's something that we have tried that will help someone else, then we want to tell them about it. And a relationship with Jesus Christ is the best that we could ever have. And shouldn't we want to tell others about it? And when we have a growing intimate relationship and we're drawing near to God and he is drawing near to us, it gives us some boldness. We have had that experience. You know, that, that person can look at you and say, I don't believe it. If they want to. But you, you know the truth. That, that shouldn't hurt your feelings. It shouldn't bother you at all because you know what you experienced. Yet on the other hand, they may, they may respond in a way that you, you didn't see coming but should have because that's how good God is. Well, tell me about it. Explain it to me. You mean I could, I could have that, I could start that relationship right now? And a final result of an intimate relationship with God, you will find that you have more purpose and meaning in your life than you ever have before. I mean, I, I, think, I think the enemy wants to convince every one of us that we're just haphazardly wandering around this planet, you know, trying to do our best and, and, you know, get the most toys and have the biggest bank accounts and have the most fun. And, and that we do that aimlessly, but, but, but that's not the way God intended or created us. I mean, there are reasons that doors open and doors close. There are reasons that things happen in your life and in mine. There, there is purpose. There is meaning. And of course, sometimes we can't see very far ahead of us, but we're reminded that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And we can know and follow and trust in that plan. Now, we have to recognize and consider the fact that God had a plan for Job's life too, right? Now, I'm not signing on to that plan. Um, I, I want, I don't know, pick a Bible character. They all had struggles, didn't they? There isn't anybody that we can pick that just, it, life was a bowl of cherries. They just had a relationship with, you know, the disciples had the most intimate relationship with Jesus that anybody on the planet could ever have. And look at how, look how that turned out for all of them. I mean, we have to remember that it's not all about today and here and on this planet. There is an eternity and a future ahead of us that's more glorious than anything we could ever experience. May we all draw near to God this morning. May we all be his sheep. May we all listen to his voice. Experience his love. Be obedient. 
follow him. May we all draw near to God this morning. And as we celebrate, we're going to celebrate communion now. Worship team, why don't you guys come up here? Just as we, as we, you know, as Brandon, Brandon prayed and is just kind of wrestling with, just kind of feeling heavy. You know, maybe there's something heavy in your heart, in your soul this morning. And I, I know, I know, I know what you're going to say and what you're going to think. You're like, there's no way I'm going to do that. I want to encourage you to what I'm going to, you know, here, let me just read. You know, as you, uh, the, the servers are going to come up and they're going to pass out the, the, the bread and the cup. And, and we have some um, wafers here for people that are gluten intolerant. Just raise your hand and I'll, I'll get those to you when we, when we serve. But um, as you hold the bread and the cup, let's this morning remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Um, let's celebrate the salvation that we have received because we have trusted in him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand our place in the kingdom of God. And then partake. Partake of the bread and then partake of the cup. And, and, and while we're passing it out, the worship team is going gonna, is gonna to be singing a song for us. And think of the words that you hear. Think of the truth that's there. Maybe, maybe there's repentance that the Holy Spirit will bring to your heart that you need to make. Maybe, maybe there is some praise. Maybe there is some asking. Maybe, maybe yielding is, is where God wants you this morning. And, and then after you have finished, um, worship in mind and spirit. You know, Worship isn't just music. It's not just singing. It's, it's, it's one mode of that. Um, and, it, and if at any time during these final songs, and, and this, this could be anything. There's something that's heavy on your heart that, that, that you've been praying for, um, that, that you want prayed for. Just walk up here and an elder or myself will just... Tell us what you want us to pray with you, either, either for you, maybe, maybe it's, it's a, a health thing, maybe it's a, a forgiveness thing, maybe pray with you, maybe you have a friend who, who um, you're just really heavy-hearted over and you want to ask prayer for them. I, I guess basically I, I just want to ask that you'd be willing to walk up here and have somebody pray with you or for you. And sometimes I think we think, well, if I do that, people think there's something wrong in my life. Well, you know what? That's true of each and every one of us in the room. You're kidding yourself if you think there's nothing wrong in your life. So I, I just, I just want to make that open for us this morning. Don't, don't be afraid to come. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, this ordinance that you've given us to remind us, to help us to celebrate
Help us to respond to what you're speaking to our hearts this morning. Help us to draw near to you. And thank you for drawing near to us. In Jesus' name.